Well, I want to ask you now to get out your Bibles and devices and turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 11. We jump in to the middle of the narrative here where Jesus has just learned that his friend Lazarus is sick. And he, along with the disciples, have made their way toward the town where Lazarus lives in Bethany. But they've been delayed a few days. And as we begin reading in verse 17, just know that that's where we're picking up. So this is John 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary and to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a little over a year ago, so if today is April 4th, uh, things shut down for us on March 15th, at least here at South Charlotte Prez. But if you remember, a little over a year ago, we were grappling with this newfound pandemic that was basically all but consuming us. We were in a lockdown of sorts and learning how to do life uh, in a very unusual way. Who would have thought, you know, a year and a half ago that one day masking would be a common and normal thing and that having enough disinfectant wipes and cleaning products and toilet paper would become a thing that is of serious concern. We've all coped in various ways, some good, some not so good, but others have introduced levity into an otherwise very difficult and very hard situation. Some of you may have remember the song that came out, I think it was over a year ago, called Quarantined With You. Some of the lyrics go like this. It's a pretty scary time. I'm sure we can't agree. And the whole world can't wait to return to normalcy. But there's one thing I don't hate. Yeah, I'll admit it's true, that it's really not so bad being quarantined with you. We have too much toilet paper and not enough to eat. We overwash our hands and underwash our feet. We watch Netflix and play board games because there's not much else to do. Yeah, it's really not so bad being quarantined with you. And we'll put on our finest sweatpants and we'll microwave pad thai for the first time doing nothing. Could really save some lives. 
So come on, all you Americans. I know you can be lazy if you try. The world has changed. It has changed in many ways. Everyone's been affected by this. Our life has been disrupted. The things that were familiar to us, we cannot do. Our rhythms have been disrupted. Our rhythms of, of work and of recreation and activities. This has affected supply chains, the distribution of goods. It has brought death and even the end of many businesses, unfortunately. Our lives have been disrupted, and this has affected everyone in some way. No one is untouched by this. And we have learned more acutely, and it's up in our face, that we cannot choose when, how, and where people die. We cannot control health. We cannot control death. We cannot control anything. We cannot guarantee no suffering. We cannot guarantee no difficulties. And that has been up in our face. It's been up in our face that this world is imperfect, that this world is broken. We've seen it around us. We've also seen it in ourselves. You know, a year ago, Dean and I, uh, about this time last year, we were in his living room recording these sermons on Fridays. And that was an odd thing. We're, recording, we're standing in front of a camera to a huge, massive audience of at least three or four people and proclaiming the gospel to a camera and trying to exude energy because that communicates when you're sitting at home watching. And then the funny thing was for Dean and I is that then we're sitting at home on a Sunday morning watching ourselves preach to ourselves while we sit on our couch. That's quite a place to be. And everything, as we talked about it, we said, this just feels so artificial. That was the word that we were both feeling, artificial. And I thought for me that I was doing pretty well. I thought for the most part I was weathering the pandemic pretty well. And then something happened. I went out for dinner with the family at one point last year, or I think it was early fall. And I went to open the door for someone and let them in, and they just stood back. And they wouldn't go in through past me. And so I said, okay. So I just went in. But then something triggered. And it wasn't so much anger at him, but all of a sudden I got angry. And I started looking around the restaurant. And I'm watching everything, people lining up, mass. And I'm just in my head. I start, to, I start to look at everybody. And I start to say at them, even shout at them in my mind, calm down. It's okay. We're going to be fine. Just chill. Not a dignified moment for me, but I was feeling that in my heart. On one level, I was angry and I was upset with the reality of things, which is this has brought a lot of death. This has brought a lot of pain into people's lives. And on one level, I wasn't really valuing it. I wasn't really recognizing it. That was the depraved side of me because I couldn't deal with it. They were too much for me. And basically what I was doing, what I was, I was inadvertently, I was ignoring, I was suppressing, I was not wanting to deal with it myself, and I was inadvertently dismissing them. And in that moment, I was revealed. You see, it's hard to look at something that is difficult, that is painful, and to look at it in the face and to face it. 
It's hard to see the stats as of this week. 30 million people have had COVID. 550,000 souls that have passed on. I know it's only 1.8%, but that's still a lot of lives. And we have good reason to lament, and this is hard. Our country, our world, we have known more acutely than before death and our inability to stop it. But you know what? Jesus knew loss. Jesus knew death. It says in John 11, verse 35, that he wept at the death of Lazarus. And in this passage of John 11, Jesus ends up raising Lazarus from the dead. It's a great ending. Lazarus is, is risen from, rises from the grave. But what we can miss sometimes, even after reading verse 35, that Jesus wept, is this. It's Jesus' reaction when he first comes on the scene. Look at verse 33. Do you notice it says they're deeply moved? The literal interpretation would be strongly indignant. And other, another ways of saying this is that he's angry. Jesus is angry as he comes on this scene. He's mad. He's really mad. And he's not mad at himself that, ah, why didn't I get here sooner? No, he knew what he was doing. He's not mad at the people around him. He's not mad at his heavenly father. He's mad at something else. It's actually death. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Death is not just a natural inevitability. It's actually wrong. It's actually wicked. But yet Jesus says here in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. And so he says in verse 25, as we read, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And Jesus, he's telling us something very startling here in the face of death. He says he is the resurrection and the life. That whoever believes in him, even though he dies, he will live. Now this can sound like supernatural crazy talk. To us today, right? We don't go around. The topic of conversation on our feeds is not the resurrection. It's not debated in the public space right now. You see the occasional magazine that pops up at like your Barnes & Noble. I was there yesterday and noticed that that's what's front and center on some of the bookshelves. But it's not a topic that we're talking about a whole lot. Well, to rewind the clock in Jesus' time, this actually was You see, it was a very common topic that was talked about among the Greeks, among the Jews, among the Christians. It was discussed. It wasn't so foreign. For the Greeks, there was this understanding that the soul needed to be free from the shackles of the body. The ideal, the ultimate, was to be free from the body. And that's probably why some mocked Paul in Acts 17.32 when he was talking about this resurrection. For most Jews, except the Sadducees, they believed in a resurrection of the body, but yet it wouldn't be a transformed body. But then for the Christians, they believed in the resurrection of the body, but it would be a transformed body. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, for example. And so whether you were Greek, whether you were Hebrew, whether you were a Christian, this wasn't all there is. There was something else to come. And Jesus promises there is. That's great, Josh. So what? 
What's the big deal? Who cares whether he rose or not? I'll tell you why. Because there's a problem. And it's all around us. We've seen it more acutely in 2020 into 2021. There's a problem. This, there's, there's, this world is broken. It's imperfect. We see it in this world. We see it in us. And we can't stop it. We can't fix it. But Jesus here is saying, I can. I can fix it. He's the only solution. And the reason that he's the only solution is because of what the problem is. And the problem is this. It's this thing called sin. And maybe you're thinking, ah, there you go again with this sin thing. What do you mean by this? What are you talking about? Sin, as the Bible talks about it, a good way to talk about it is that it's not being conformed to God's law or it's breaking his law. Another way to say this is that you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it. Or God has given in a command not to do this, and you go ahead and you do it anyways. That's sin. You see, God as loving creator, he created all that we see. We, we learn about this in the early chapters of the first book of the Bible called Genesis. That he created all things. And that as its loving creator, as its loving designer, he created it to function and work in a particular way because he's the designer, right? When you design a product, you design it to work in a particular way, right? So if I take a pizza cutter and I start to try to open my Amazon box with it, it doesn't work because I'm not using it according to the way it was designed. And our Lord, he designed, created us commanded us to work and to operate in a certain way because that's how things work best. That's how things work best. And when we don't, things break down. You see, sin is, in a sense, it's living outside of God's design. It is in this world. It is in us. And we see it, don't we? We see it affect our relationships when something is wrong in our relationships. We see it affect uh, our bodies, how our bodies break down, illness. We also see it affect the earth, right? That's why right now I go outside and I mow fields of clover instead of fields of grass. It's because this world has fallen and broken and the weeds keep coming. I keep battling it. Sin is the problem. It has pervaded everything everywhere. And if you don't think so, Think about this. You have felt guilt. What do you do with the guilt? Why do you feel guilt? That's a clue. That's a sensor on your dashboard telling you there's something wrong. There's something wrong here. And it isn't to ignore it. You see, there's a problem. It's called sin. And Paul says that that is the issue. And in fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we are still in our sins. Listen to his words in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. That is so important. 
still in your sins. That's the problem. That's the real issue. It's not illness or sickness or the brokenness in this world. It's what's behind all that, which is sin. That's our biggest issue. And if Jesus didn't rise, then we are still in our sins and our sins still stand against us and there is no hope of salvation. There's no hope of rescue in what we look around and see and feel and experience every week. We need rescue from the real problem and that is sin. But here's the real hope. Christ was raised. Christ was raised. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the first four books of the New Testament, they tell us that Jesus rose from the grave and that the tomb was empty. And the most plausible reason for the empty tomb is that Jesus physically, bodily rose from the grave on that Sunday morning in first century Palestine. Why do I say this? There's so much we could say, and it's several sermons to make an argument for this, but I want to say just a few things this morning and have you look with me at a few things. Why do I say this is the most plausible explanation? Well, let's look at the disciples' lives. If you remember the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they were hiding. They were fleeing after the fact that Jesus was arrested. They weren't, they weren't bold and, and courageous But yet if you look at them in the book of Acts, they go from scared and hiding to bold and to proclaiming. Now it's one thing to proclaim a lie. It's another thing to go on and to suffer what they suffered. Incredible torture all the way to the very end for something that you know is a lie. Plus, we have over 500 eyewitnesses. There's an actual historical account In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, where we learn that Jesus appeared to over 500 people who testified that they saw him. You see, if he hadn't rose from the grave, then we could easily produce and say, there's the body. Or there he is. Eyewitnesses could debunk the whole notion that he rose. Also, Rome would not have bribed the guards to say the disciples stole the body in Matthew 28. That was their solution. You see, if the disciples have all, had all of a sudden gotten up the gumption, ran to the tomb, attacked the guards, beat them up, pushed away the stone, stole the body, went and hid it, news of this would have gotten around. They wouldn't have had to come up with this, hey, just keep it quiet. This is what we'll say. We'll say the disciples stole the body, Okay. That's what we'll say. Because they couldn't produce the body. And last but not least, you wouldn't cite women as eyewitnesses if you wanted to believe, if you wanted people to believe your story. Now that might sound offensive to you, but in their time, first century Palestine, the Mediterranean, women's testimony a lot of times wasn't even accepted in the court of law. That's wrong. They should have been valued. But yet, if I'm going to write you a story and I want you to believe what I'm saying, then I'm not going to put women in it as the eyewitnesses, some of the first eyewitnesses. But yet, in fact, that's what we have in the Gospels. They cite women who saw Jesus. Now, those are just a few, and this conversation is huge. But the most plausible explanation for the empty tomb is that the fact is Jesus rose bodily from the grave on the third day. And you know what? 
That's good news. <laughs> That's good news for us. Because sin disrupted and it brought death. But yet God disrupted. And he brought life through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. COVID has disrupted our lives, disrupted this world, and brought death. But yet God the Father has been disrupting for many years, bringing life through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. In love, God the Father, he saw our lostness, our inability to save ourselves because of sin, our self-destruction, and he moved toward us by sending his one and only son whom he loved. It's like we were in the hospital with COVID where no one else was allowed to visit us and he pushed everything away and he didn't wear a mask and he didn't wear a protective suit and he hadn't been vaccinated and he came and he sat with us face to face letting us breathe on us. He did those things. He moved toward us by sending his one and only son. And he did this to, to disrupt the broken state that you and I were in. The broken state that you and I were so content to be in. To not worship and serve Jesus. And God the Father, he gave his one and only son. And Jesus came and he willingly laid down his life. So that you and I could have life through faith in him. God came down in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he humbled himself. He took on a body. And that is a kind of humility that is hard for us to grasp. The only way I think we can grasp it is if you and I were uh, reincarnated as slugs. And we came to save the slugs and to live among the slugs and to give our life so that all the slugs might be free. And it still doesn't compare to what Jesus Christ did. Jesus came and lived that sinless, perfect life, enduring ridicule and pain for an undeserving people, you and I. And he laid down his life by going to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. But you know what? It didn't end there. If we ended on Good Friday, if that's where we end with Jesus in the tomb, never to hear from him again, then the mission failed. Jesus gets an E for effort but he didn't accomplish what he came to do. But in fact, he did. On the third day, he rose. And in him, there is real hope. You see, this world is not all there is. And isn't that good news as you look around us? Aren't you thankful that that is the truth? It's a hard truth to comprehend. It's a hard truth for us to really understand and to live out. But aren't you thankful that this is not all there is? It would be despair. If this is as good as it gets. But it's not. <laughs> Thank God the, this is not all there is. That the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You see, when Christ rose, all those who put their faith and trust in him, we rose with him spiritually, truly, and fully. Let these words of Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3 wash over you. Listen to these words. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our future resurrection hope is sure. Not because I say so, but because of the one who stands behind it, who guaranteed it with the action of actually rising from the grave. Because Christ rose, you and I, we too will rise. Those of us who put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet we wait for its final fulfillment. And as we wait, this present reality of our resurrection hope does something for us even now as we wait. You see, it's not just that, yes, there's a promise and I'm waiting for it. And in the meantime, it's, let's just hunker down and just get through it. Let's muscle through it. No, it's actually that it does something for you now. The resurrection is a future hope, but it actually does something for you here and now. You see, Christ is in us now, and we are in him. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 20. And Jesus, he conquered sin and death. And when we put our faith and our trust in Christ, our slavery to sin has objectively been broken. The power of sin has actually been broken in your life if you're a follower of Christ, even though its presence is still there. And what this means is that we can then live for him by his power and by his grace, even though sin's presence is in our life, even though it's still there and we feel and we know its presence, but it has objectively been broken. This is important for us. I, you know, I remember years ago, and I've had other conversations like this, and maybe you have had conversations like this as well. I remember spending time with a guy who really wrestled with depression, severe depression. And I remember him recounting to me on one situation where he's like, oh, I can't wait for the resurrection. I actually can't wait to be in heaven and to get away from this body, which I feel trapped in so many times. I cannot wait to have that resurrected body. I cannot wait to be in heaven with the Lord because then this will, I'll no longer struggle and wrestle with this thing where every morning I wrestle to get out of bed and I want it gone. And what was interesting in our times together was how he ended up leaving our times, feeling encouraged. And it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I said magical words or I'm so incredible. But actually, it was because of what Christ was doing in him as he walked through with him through this depression. Jesus was with him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It was because Jesus was with him. Jesus was by him, and there was real power in Jesus being with him, walking with him through those times. Because as he looked forward to the resurrection, as he looked forward in faith, his heart was stirred and strengthened. And maybe you have felt that as well. He was finding strength in Christ to live now with then in view. Because Jesus rose, all those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, we have absolute assurance that we too one day will rise with a resurrected body and we will be with him 
forever. And it's because Christ came and he lived and he died and he rose again as it's recorded here in God's word. Jesus couldn't be stopped. He couldn't be restrained. He couldn't be thwarted. Rather, he disrupted sin's disruption by disruption of real hope. He disrupted sin's disruption with the disruption of real hope. What does that do, though? What does that do for your daily experience of disruption, whatever level that is? How does the resurrection impact what you are longing for, what you are hoping for? I know that for me, I daily live in hope for lesser things than what God promises. With C.S. Lewis, I can say this, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. You see, we hope for things. We hope for good things. But sometimes those good things become the things that we go to to numb us, that we go to to regulate us, that we go to to comfort us, the things we go to to help us cope. And we are like those who get more excited about making mud pies. All the while, our Heavenly Father is sitting there with the car running saying, come on, come on, let's go to the beach. It's far better than this. But many times we give him the hand saying, no, no, this is it right here, making mud pies. And he is saying, no, no, just wait till we get there. Come on, let's go. Life has been disrupted this past year, no doubt. And that is cause for lament, for true lament. But what has this disruption revealed about you? What are you hoping for? What have you seen in your conversations? What have you seen in your thoughts? What have you seen in your posts? You know, those are the things that reveal us. Those are the things that reveal what we are actually hoping in. And maybe you're hoping for an end to this pandemic. Maybe you're hoping for an end to the political division that we see. Maybe you're hoping for an end to racism and for justice to be done. Maybe you're hoping for just that the online increased bashing would just cease or become minimal. Now, those things in and of themselves aren't bad. And to hope for an end to those things are good. But if you notice in your heart that your inner peace rises and falls with what's going on in the culture, that's a light on your dashboard that should be telling you that your hope and faith and trust and your peace is actually grounded in something else other than Christ because it rises and falls with what's going on. You see, there's things that we look to to steady and to regulate us in the here and now. Take Jesus, for example. Jesus saw the tomb of Lazarus and he wept, rightly so, at death. He knew what it was to feel grief. He knew what it was to feel anger at death, righteously. And he knew what it was to lament. And we are to lament, but lament is not without hope. That's called despair. Lament is with incredible hope. 
You see, Jesus said, this illness will not lead to death in verse 4. And then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, you and I, we have disrupted, deregulated hearts sometimes. Maybe you have one right now. But no doubt you've probably experienced it. The disruption, the disappointment, the deregulation. And this morning, I want to encourage you to take your disrupted and your deregulated heart. And I want to encourage you to remember who Christ is. And that he actually rose from the grave. And because he did, you too will one day rise. And I want you to ask him. Go to him and ask him to be your peace daily in a very disrupted world so that you and I can say with the psalmist, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Take your disrupted and your deregulated heart to the resurrected Christ and find true peace for your soul, peace that is everlasting. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and recognizing that we are looking for peace many times, but we look in different places. We don't recognize many times the resurrection hope that is laid up for us. And that even as it's laid up for us, we have you with us in power now. And so we come to you this morning. We come to you once again, reminding ourselves of who you are and what you have done and that you are a resurrection hope, that because you rose one day, we too will rise. And so we ask you to give us peace in a world that is very disrupted and deregulated. Give us peace in our hearts that are very disrupted and deregulated. And so that, Father, we can say that we have peace, true peace, by looking to you. Be with us as we continue in worship. And let us now stand and sing with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and praise you for who you are, our resurrection hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.